Hey guys, how's it going? This is Sean back here with the Everything Real Estate Investing Show. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take a quick break from the actual programming and we're not going to have a guest on today. After all, it's Christmas. So Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everybody. Uh, I want to thank my team for helping me put on the show. It takes a lot of effort to get guests on the show, edit it, and create the amazing summaries on our website. It's the holiday season. I want to continue having our streak of having two episodes a week, but I also don't want to uh, feature a guest and then have it be kind of ignored because of the holiday season. So I figured I'd just do a 2019 breakdown of my journey and uh, the struggles that I have to face <laughs> through 2019. By the time this thing releases, it would be Christmas of 2019. So it'll actually be my birthday. I turn 30 years old today. So it's the start of a new decade for the world and also the start of my 30s. Something that's kind of scary, but also very exciting at the same time. Because I think of myself as a kid. Like I remember when I was first going out to these real estate meetup events. I think I was around 26 years old. And everyone would say to me, oh my God, you're so young. Wow, good for you for getting into real estate investing at such a young age. Now I show up and I see these kids that are 22 years old, 18 years old. And I think, wow, if I started at that age, uh, I'd probably need to be in a better spot by now. But you know, nevertheless, I've been in the real estate investing world for about four years now. and Especially this past year, I've grown so much just by speaking with so many amazing guests and by going through some crazy experiences myself. So yeah, I want to go over a 2019 breakdown. Uh, basically, in 2016, I started getting into real estate investing, going to the meetup groups, and didn't really do anything until end of 2016 where I bought my first property in Florida. And then by middle of 2017, I had six units in Jacksonville, Florida. But it wasn't very exciting. You know, I was getting maybe $2,000 a month net uh, from positive cash flow. But you always need more capital to do more projects, right? So I thought, okay, what can we do to create a business to get more capital? Because saving money from a full-time job just isn't fast enough. I was very, very fortunate. Uh, Elisa was my co, I guess, sign-in buddy for Jeff Pollock's meetup group at Harris Hawk Brown San Jose. And she actually sent me a deal and that deal just went so amazing. And actually, I talked about that on our first episode of this podcast, about how we made like a couple hundred thousand dollars on that one deal. And it was so ridiculous because the taxes on that property is higher than my base salary at work. So ever since then, I was a useless employee. I would hide in my cubicle, watch YouTube videos, read a lot of books, work on my website. You know, like honestly, after that point, I was just not motivated to work at Northrop Grumman anymore. And I felt kind of bad because ultimately my brain started to become like mush. But I was still kind of, uh, you know, I felt like an employee, right? I, I didn't feel like I had the freedom to just quit my job and do real estate full time. And if I did in early 2018, I, I might be in a better position. Uh, but instead, I stuck at my job. I was getting paid a lot of money at that job, man. It was pretty crazy. Um, and I started flipping more. And the mistake I made was that not only did I over leverage, which I think is okay to be honest, like you can do a 90% LTV on a project, but you shouldn't do four projects at the same time. And that's thing, and I think that's where I made my big mistake. Uh, I took on too many projects at the same time and I relied on too many individuals. You know, like in a very complicated world like real estate investing, things happen uh, in parallel. But if you have your systems in series, then any one person can mess up and your whole thing just gets wrecked. It, it may be cost efficient if you have one solid team, but like I said, 
if any one of those people don't perform the way you expect, then the whole system goes down. And when you're over leveraged like that, man, you can lose a lot of money really quickly. And honestly, that's what happened to me. I think in November of 2018, we had those fires in paradise. The market basically slowed down to a halt. And these projects that I expected to exit on weren't able to exit. So instead of selling you know, at a profit, I was actually looking at losing a lot of money. And during the whole time, because it wouldn't even sell, I was just holding on to these hard money loans, like multiple hard money loans at the same time. And I even joked when I went to Taiwan in December of 2018 that my holding costs on my properties was more than my friend's base salary for the whole year. So like every single month, I was paying more in hard money costs than they were making in a whole year of their salary. And they're just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was rough. And honestly, that's why I created this podcast because I thought, how can I get out of this bad spot? I did a lot of time in Vietnam and Taiwan just reflecting and thinking about what I could do to get out of my situation. And I thought, all right, I need to differentiate myself some way. So just like how volunteering got me my deals uh, with Elisa, I figured, all right, podcast is great because you know it costs almost no money to start up. Uh, and it gives me a reason to talk to these big investors. Like I would go to all these real estate meetup events and I would see these amazing investors talk for an hour, two hours. But then when the show was over, I wouldn't have the guts to go up to them and talk to them because I had nothing to talk about. You know, I didn't have a specific question I wanted to ask them. You know, I felt like I was bothering them if I asked them just to say hi or like, here's my business card, right? No, no one wants those things. But now with the podcast, I have a reason to talk to them. I say, hey, I love what you had to share with the group. Can you come on my show to share with more of my listeners? And for the most part, they say, yeah. So during that one hour session of our podcast interview, I basically get free consulting. Like I get to ask these top investors and professionals, what do they do to become successful in their field? What are some things that I don't know that I need to know? And of course, by having this podcast, I can like distribute it to everyone who's listening, like you guys right now. Thank you again for listening on Christmas. And it's just been a fun ride. That was my theory. Get out of bad spot by becoming quote unquote famous in the real estate industry by you know, making podcasts, creating meetup groups down south, and uh, you know, starting my website. And the way I see it is, it's totally like a Gary Vee movement where I am in no way, shape, or form a successful real estate investor, but I like to think that in the future I will be. And this is like just my way of documenting the process. And it'd be cool, you know, five years from now to look back on all the videos and podcasts I made and be like, wow, remember when I was making these podcasts and I had like 10 listeners? You know, now I have a couple hundred listeners. Now I have a couple uh, hundred subscribers on YouTube, right? Uh, in a couple of years, hopefully that becomes thousands or tens of thousands, right? How cool would that be? So that's a theory. And basically for 2019, uh, this whole year, I don't think I acquired a single property because I spent the majority of the year just uh, doing damage control. So this is like the first time in my life where I've taken a major loss. And it's also the first time in life where I was actually challenged financially. Because like growing up, I grew up in a very middle-class household. I grew up in Milpitas, California. So we were by no means rich, but I never felt poor. You know, like I never went to sleep hungry. We had a house, never had to worry about bills and stuff. My mom was a computer science engineer. She was probably pulling like $80,000, $100,000 a year. Uh, but that's enough, right? That's enough for us. We don't have fancy cars. I drive a Toyota Corolla. I like it. 
But yeah, I lived a very steady lifestyle. And for the most part, my whole life was always accumulating and growing. Like the stock market grew from $1,200. It's now like $3,100 now. So stock market has improved significantly. My flips in the past made me hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So now for the first time, not only was I not going to make money on my flips, I was actually going to lose money. And when I say lose, it's losing big. In fact, uh, that one property that we sold in Sunnyvale, we had to sell it for $100,000 less than what we bought it for like uh, nine months prior. So I, hold, I, so I held it for nine whole months and we rehabbed the project and I had to sell it for $100,000 less. We basically all lost around $400,000 total, which is a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money. Uh, the mistake there was I didn't understand my buyer profile. So I was purchasing, you know, a property. The numbers look really good, but I didn't understand that people who want a property in the 2 million price point uh, expect a garage. See, even though this property has storage, which is what most people use the garage for here anyways, they just want the sake of, they just want a garage for having the sake of having a garage. I mean, that's all there is to it. Uh, market has shifted on us, of course, and we end up losing a lot of money. And it's just so funny that when that happened, uh, obviously I felt terrible, but I also felt a sense of relief because we were holding on to that project for an additional five months, right? Like I tried to sell it in late October and we didn't actually close and sell it until early March. And the worst part of it is that one of my partners uh, was actually out of the country at the time. So we had to wait for him to come back to United States to, to sign uh, and close the property. So, you know, that extra week of holding costs was a couple thousand dollars. That sucks, right? Um, but these are lives we live in. So just quick tip out there. If you guys are in a partnership, try to have one guy able to sign for everybody, whether like that's through like LLC or something. Structure it so that not all of you guys need to be here to sign because if someone's on vacation, then they need to go to like the embassy to sign, which is like a big pain in the butt. So lesson learned there. But yeah, like honestly, I didn't want that story of failure to control me. Like I didn't want to be ashamed of that failure. So I actually wrote a very long blog post about how how losing 400K made me a good loser. Something like that. I forgot what the blog post is called. And a lot of people actually liked it. You know, they said, thank you for being genuine and honest. Uh, you know, hey, I was feeling bad. And after seeing your story, I don't feel so bad anymore. <laughs> Then my really good friend, Brian, you might see him on like the Crushing It Real Estate. He's in Oakland. He had a buddy who worked in Bloomberg magazine and they wanted an article about people who have you know lost in flipping game recently. And uh, he asked me if I was down to talk and I was like, yeah, of course I'm down. Why not? And so I just shared everything, got my picture taken and I got featured on Bloomberg. So thank you, Brian, for that feature. <laughs> it was fun because you get a a variety of comments between, wow, you're so brave. Thank you for sharing. And wow, you deserve it. You know, serves you right for flipping homes and trying to take advantage of people. You know, hey, press press is press, right? So it was fun to have. Obviously, all of my platforms had a huge uptick when that Bloomberg article came. And then a month later, obviously, everything went back to normal. So huge uptick and then giant crash back to reality. Uh, but in the meantime, I just kept doing my two podcasts a week. We sold another property. Uh, that one also lost only 75. So we weren't that scared. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Uh, and then the worst one was this last project. So I bought this project as a wholesale deal. And honestly, I should have done a better job at evaluating that one. But, you know, at the time I had too much money. 
And that's the problem. I have too much money. You have this theory in your head that says, if you don't use your money, you're going to lose it because it gets eroded by inflation at 3% a year. So you have to put your money to work. But then you end up buying bad deals like what I did. And you end up losing, which is way worse than having your money just get eroded by inflation. Um, so the thing about that project was, since I was doing too many projects at the same time, and I kind of already had a crew lined up for it, they need to finish my other projects before they finish this one. But by the time we started this one, you know, I was hitting up my deadline of June of 2019, which was when I was going to leave my job. Like regardless of what's going to happen, I leave my job in June of 2019 because they were going to take me back to SoCal and there's no opportunity there. You know, my girlfriend's up here in NorCal. I don't want to go back to SoCal and also don't want to work in this industry because it's not congruent with my message. And what I mean by that is that I want to work kind of like for myself. I want to do these things. I want to do real estate investing. Working as an engineering job does not help me in any way for those things besides helping me make money. So the thing is, I want to finish this one project in Santa Clara by June, but we didn't actually finish this project until mid-July. And then in mid-July, unfortunately, the market was very, very slow. Uh, we, we tried to do some we try to cut some corners, right? Cause we want to finish as soon as possible. So we said, all right, no AC needed, right? Like uh, we, we painted the house a really ugly color. And I thought, ah, like it's a too late to change it. Like now nah, let's keep it this way. We had a bad color for the body of, of the house. And we also had no air conditioning in the unit. So it was super hot. It was kind of ugly. And then, yeah, we got no offers. I took a month to actually do all the fixes. So we added the AC, we changed the body of the paint. But then of course they're like, well, you had this property up, on the MLS, it didn't sell. Why not? Oh, this house is kind of weird. And then uh, by the time we put it back on the market, it wasn't that hot anymore. So we didn't really need the AC. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no offers again. So then I spent another month just saying, all right, screw it. Let's take it down. Let's reposition it as an Airbnb rental. And we will just rent it out from there and try to refinance in the future to get a lower interest rate and try to have the Airbnb uh, cover the holding costs. Now, of course, the day after I made the decision, Santa Clara, in the business journal, Santa Clara has announced that they're going to start to have like an Airbnb ordinance in Santa Clara, which means that like you, you can't just have Airbnb there anymore. It's stricter. I mean, of course, there's ways around it. Like you can have like a 30 day uh, renter in there. So it's like a long term rental now. So they don't they're not covered under these Airbnb ordinances. But man, it's just annoying to see your plans change on you just like that so yeah i basically spent the whole year doing this damage control of trying to rehab projects fix things and reposition them and the worst thing was i have a partner in these deals right i have some partners who trusted me and they put money in my deals but because of my mismanagement and my poor choices we we lost money and of course the way i structure it is that if we lose money you know, I'll lose money first. Like I'm, I'm okay with taking the loss and paying them back whole. But we were in a situation where not only did I lose everything that I put in, but now it dips into the money that they put in too. And I remember just like one conversation I had with my friend. Um, you know, I, I was giving him the check back for the money that we made from the project. So basically paying him back his money. And it was a much smaller figure than he put in and that he was expecting and he was like you know what what is this and dude it's like 
the worst. It was the worst dinner I've ever had in my entire life. In fact, we we didn't even eat. We went to Korean barbecue. We got the all you can eat special, right? And we didn't eat a single bite just because, like, it was just so emotional when you see loss like that. And honestly, I think this is really good for us um, because, first of all, we're really good friends, right? So I'll make them whole again in the future through my other projects or through uh, my funds. You know, I'm very confident in the future we'll be just fine and I'll be able to pay him back all the money that he's lost with me. Um, but yeah, like because we're friends, we're able to work it out civilly instead of, you know, going to court and getting sued because that would be the worst. But now it goes to show like you have to be careful when taking money from other people, right? Like in theory, we should never have lost money on that deal. You know, the exit was 2.2. We bought it for under one point. Like, yeah, we bought it for about 1.7. Um, there was enough spread there. Who would, who would have ever thought that we would have had to sell this property for less than what we bought it for, you know? And yeah, like I didn't see it, right? I never thought that we would sell for less than what we bought it for, maybe even break even at worst, right? Or you at least get the money you put in. But yeah, so that was my first experience of loss. And it's just so funny because like the whole year, uh, I started experiencing new things. Like my body, I started, my stomach started like churning. It was getting really tight all the time. And I like to joke that I have like a six pack because my stomach is always so tight. You know, I'm very lucky actually that in uh, January of 2019, I actually met my girlfriend and man, it's a, uh, it's amazing. Cause like, she's a great person. She's a very forward thinker. She has her own businesses and she's just been a, a great support structure for me. And I've actually learned a lot as a person, you know, especially when it comes to money, uh, you know, money is easily made. Just like I told you that. Shoot, I made 300k on one project. We wholesaled a deal actually this year and made 125k. Uh, I obviously got a very small slice of it because I didn't do much of the work. But you can make a lot of money in this industry, right? So money should not be uh, that big of a deal, and money can easily be lost. You see, if you make a couple of bad mistakes, boom, there, there it goes. And what I learned is to not tie your emotions to money. And I think the reason why it's so emotional is because when we're growing up. And if we're working traditional job, money gets paid to us in terms of time. So you think of, wow, I lost 300K. Man, that's like three years of my life. That's that's significant. Um, But if you are able to detach money from time, then, well, at some point, money just becomes a scorecard. And, you know, you don't really need that much money to survive. Like if you can pay for your rent and live in a humble area, you pay for your cost of living expenses, then you're good. Like right now, uh, Two years ago, my Jacksonville properties were not exciting because I was only making $2,000 a month net. I was making hundreds of thousand dollars with flipping. Now it's reversed. Now I've lost hundreds of thousand dollars uh, through flipping. But, but thank God for my rental property in Jacksonville because I rent out my home here in the Bay Area. I house hack it uh, so that my roommates pay for the rent and cost of the house, basically. So I live for free. Uh, and my properties in Jacksonville, Florida actually cover my incidentals like my food or my car going to meetup groups right i don't need that much money to survive in fact i could just fly out of here and go live in chiang mai for 600 bucks a month you know that's not a big deal i mean right deal the obvious obviously big looming factor is the fact that i still have one property that i haven't sold yet that we repositioned into an airbnb but that's a couple thousand dollars a year or sorry that's a couple hundred thousand dollars a month i have to pay on a consistent basis. 
you know, as we're, you know, showing it for open house and I have no income that's coming in. And at the same time, I quit my job in June. So I had really like nothing, you know, I'm like liquidating my stocks, my savings, and I'm just making sure that this thing is going to be stable. So yeah, like I was feeling really bad, but it's funny because in March of this year, I actually went to something called the Landmark Forum. The Landmark Forum is similar to like a Tony Robbins event where you just go there and you get like hoorah, hoorah, and you learn about yourself and you talk about your problems. And you know, when I went there, I thought, man, I have some problems. I'm losing all this money, man. I feel like crap. But then you go to Landmark Forum and you see what true problems are. You know, these people have terrible relationships with their family, their friends, things have happened to them in the past. And, uh, you know, it makes them act in a certain way that they don't want to act. And they share that story with the group. And I think, oh my God, like those are real problems. You know, my mom liked to say that if a problem can be solved by money, then it's not really a problem after all. So we should be very grateful that if all your problems are money related, then in reality, you don't have a big problem. You know, my relationships with my friends, my family, and my girlfriend are like through the roof. Uh, the only downside of this year was really financially. And I just felt kind of like a failure, right? Before I used to like walk around with a big, big ego and a puffed up chest and say, oh, I'm some hotshot real estate investor. You know, you guys are lawyers making the same amount of money as I did, but I don't have to work those crazy hours you did. Uh, now it's like, okay, hey, like I can see the benefits of having a stable full-time position. <laughs> and, you know, after I quit my job, um, I was very excited to just do this full-time. But then after a while, man, I definitely got beat down, especially when uh, this property I had just couldn't move. I saw no light out of my dark tunnel. And people recommended me to call agents you know, call, call agents, try to get their off-market listings, yada, yada, yada. I mean, I did that. I was consistently doing that every single day. But, you know, I didn't feel great about it because I didn't feel like I was offering a genuine service. I felt like some greedy guy that just wanted their pocket listings and was only thinking about myself. Why would someone want to give me their pocket listings? Why would someone want to sell their property off-market? It's very rare. And the worst thing was I didn't have a lot of money myself. So even if I got a deal, I'd have to partner with another investor friend of mine to uh, close on the property, which meant that there was another layer of approval. You know, I couldn't say, yeah, I'm down for it. You know, my word is my bond. Let's go. I have to be like, okay, I like it. And I sent it to my friends and they say no. And then I have to go back and say, yeah, my partner said no. Yeah, I didn't feel good. The calls that the people that I called weren't very receptive to my call, right? They're like, why are you calling me? You and a hundred people have called me today. You're bothering me. Don't call me ever again. I don't feel good. I don't feel good about promoting myself for something that uh, I just don't feel good about. You know, like I, I genuinely do believe that if you just put your property in the market, no matter how bad a condition is, you're going to get at least a hundred thousand dollars. And if you sell it off market, that's my opinion. Recently, the National Association of Realtors have banned pocket listings anyway. So now there's even less incentive for them to give you a pocket listing because their license could be in jeopardy. And for what? For you to make a lot of money? Yeah, I don't know. Some investors obviously are killing it. You know, I have a couple of friends who are doing really, really, really well, making multiple seven figures a year by cold calling agents and getting pocket listings from them. But then it goes to show, why would they give me a deal when they're going to just give them a deal? I mean, unless they pass on it and then it's like, why do they pass on it? 
And then like, again, the worst part is I don't have the money to do the deal anyway. So what's the point? Um, so yeah, that just felt really, really bad. And uh, for me, it was all about, okay, how can I get out of this mess? I think focusing on building a network, building these content platforms will help us for when the market does turn, uh, we'll just catch that next wave and we're going to do really, really well. Uh, but by persisting in this journey, it's so funny. Like I actually made a video a couple of weeks ago about uh, my nightmare, right? I had a nightmare that I had to go back to a job, my full-time career back at a company that I didn't care for because you know, at some point you run out of money, right? The dream is dead. You got to go back. And uh, the sad part was I was actually like kind of excited to go back to work because I wanted that steady paycheck again. But that's, that's the worst, right? You just give up on your dreams. So by persisting, I did a lot of thinking. I thought, wow, I have this audience base, right? All of you guys listening to this podcast and all the people that watch my videos or come to my media groups, I have this audience, but I have no real purpose. You know, I have no real way to, I have no real reason to continue, honestly. No real reason to continue besides the fact that I think it's a cool thing to have. But I started thinking like, what is something that I could do that could serve my listeners, my audience base? And I thought of thinking about it. I thought, man, all of you guys listening are real estate investors. At some point, right, I, I know that most of you guys probably don't need a course on how to do real estate investing, right? Especially not for me, right? Especially if I've lost money on flipping houses. You probably went to get a course on flipping for me. Not now, at least. Maybe when I'm more successful. But what would you guys like? Ah, you're real estate investors. At some point, you're going to need financing for your projects. I mean, hard money Yes, it's dangerous if you over leverage and you take on like five projects at once. But if you just do one or two a year, or if you know, you're really good at what you do, you're going to need financing anyways. There's no way even the top investors I know don't buy their houses with full cash. They partner with people, they borrow debt. And it makes sense because if you can borrow debt at even, you know, nine, 10% uh, annualized, but then you make a hundred thousand dollars on the back end, it's worth it, right? It's so worth it. Um, so I thought of thinking, man, I wish I could be associated with an amazing company that produces these great financial packages. But even more so, I want to be not just like a broker because brokers, you know, they do their job. Uh, they find you the loan that can help you, but they're going to charge you an extra point, which means that your loan is now $10,000 more expensive than it had to be serendipitously at the same time my really good friend brenda chen who i had on the show earlier this year as well reached out to me independently and she said hey why don't we work together and i thought that's an amazing idea so just yesterday i accepted a role at conventus conventus is my hard money lender and i use them all the time see i've used other hard money lenders in the past and the problem with them is like their service is lacking uh they're not based in san francisco so for me it was really hard to even know who they were, right? I never got any face-to-face -face time, which honestly you don't need. But like when there was a problem and I was trying to get a hold of my hard money lender, this guy, he was a broker, wouldn't even pick up his phone call. I thought it was ridiculous, right? With Conventus, their, their process is so smooth and they were so much cheaper than these other guys that I used. Like when I first got my deal uh, that I made a lot of money on, the terms were like 10%, two and a half points, you know? And he was promising me, oh, yeah, like you can get this insurance policy, super cheap. And then because things got pushed out last minute because I mean, they were really bad, uh, 
I ended up having to pay like $2,000 for insurance instead of what he was promising at like 400. So just a lot of empty promises and then extra costs that didn't have to be there. So when I finally started working with Coventus, it was a breath of fresh air, you know, uh, really, really good rates, super responsive and fast team. And I actually went to the office yesterday and yeah, these guys are working really hard on producing loans. Uh, the CEO uh, is a really, really smart man. And he knows that it's not about just milking the customer for each deal. It's about building that uh, long-term customer value, right? Like you want to have a customer, be a customer for you for life. They want you to uh, do the acquisition with them, do the refinance with them. Uh, now they're opening up insurance inside their office. So you can do their insurance policy with them. Uh, everything just works really well. And for me, I thought I am incredibly, incredibly lucky and fortunate to be able to associate myself with this company. So yeah, now I'm actually able to monetize uh, my platforms, which is amazing because I don't feel sleazy selling this. This service is the best. If you want hard money loans, I, I guarantee you, Conventus should be on the top of your list. And the best thing is if you can just contact us and you let them know that, hey, you came from our podcast, they'll even give you a discount on the processing fee. So you save money just from listening to my podcast. Uh, I am like really, really excited because Again, like I said, I don't like selling stuff that I don't believe in, but I truly believe in Conventus and their financing. And like I said, hey, <clears throat> you might not need this now, but if you're a real estate investor and you're going to buy some properties, eventually at some point, you're going to buy properties at super low values uh, because they need a lot of rehab work. But guess what? If they need a lot of rehab work, you can't finance them traditionally. And for the most part, people don't just have $800,000 sitting in their bank account that they want to put into a project. No, you're going to get financing. So if you get financing, I hope you think of us first. And in terms of purchasing properties myself, you know, I think the market is kind of soft. And honestly, it's just a relatively scary time to get in. So there's no real rush. Why should I jump into it and just get smacked again when I can just wait for the market to recover uh, and then just ride the wave up? You know, I I'm not so greedy that I need to buy houses at the absolute bottom and then sell at the peak. I'm okay with a more long-term play now. And I think that was my main mistake. Like I talked to Damian Lupo. He lost $10 million in his like early 30s, late 20s. He knows what pain is like. And he said the reason why his business has failed was because he tried to go too fast too quickly. And you need to have patience in this game. Yeah, all the top real estate investors I know are doing it with patience. And you honestly make most of your money from holding, not from selling. If I had the capability of just holding on to my properties, I think we would do very, very well in the future. And, you know, I'm honestly, I'm gun shy. Like, I don't want to just jump into another deal unless the numbers really make sense. So for the next year or so, I'm going to just focus on boosting out my platforms. This podcast, my videos, my website, blog posts, email list, and just create better content for all of you, you know, and let me know, shoot me an email, Sean at everything REI.com. Shoot me an email and let me know what kind of topics do you want me to go over? What do you want to learn? Because I'm always open to it. Sometimes you guys tell me things that I don't even know about. So then it forces me to research it. And that makes me grow as a person as well. Like for example, prop 13, prop 13 is a proposition here in California where your property taxes 
will not increase by more than 2% every single year. So that's why people who have held their property since the 70s are still paying like, I don't know, $1,000, $2,000 a year for the property taxes, even though their properties are now worth like $2 million. But if someone sold their house and a new person bought it, now they would be paying like 1% or 1.2% of that purchase price as their property taxes. So $2 million, now you're looking at $20,000 a year in property taxes alone. There is a proposition to repeal Prop 13, or at least change it. And I had to do research on it. You know, I had no idea that was happening. But apparently there's a thing where people are like convincing senior citizens to sign this petition to get rid of Prop 13 because, you know, they want their tax dollars to go towards their Medicare or go towards public schools because I guess schools are underfunded now. But, you know, I did more research on it and I saw that, oh, actually, now they changed it where they're not going to be affected with like residential properties, but it's more for commercial properties uh, because, you know, residential properties trade hands pretty, rel- you know, relatively often. Like every 10 years, someone's going to move out of their house. But a commercial building, that could just stay with a company for a long, long, long time. You know, if a, a law firm has owned a commercial property, uh, why would they sell it? And actually, they talked about these businesses have to be like significant, maybe like $6 million or more in net profits every year and a certain team size or square footage. I don't, I don't remember the exact details, but they're trying to change it to make it more friendly. So they want to have the ability to reassess all of these corporate buildings in these large commercial structures. Because uh, one of my friend's ex-girlfriends used to work at a law firm focusing on real estate and they were trying to sell the Transamerica building you know, that giant pyramid in San Francisco, but they're only selling 49% of the share because if they ever sell 51% now there's a new owner and prop 13, you know, obviously gets triggered. You know, this property is bought in like the what 1930s. So their property base taxes are super, super low. They don't want this property to reassess. So they only sell 49% of the prop uh, equity. Right. So yeah, like now they want to change that. And of course, everyone who are like us, we're like, Oh yeah, that's great because now we can have more property taxes for a school. And who cares about these giant corporations anyways? But people are saying, look, if you charge, if you reassess those buildings, there's a good chance that that building is no longer functionally operable, right? Like if you're paying 1970 property taxes and you get shot up to 2010, 2020 property taxes, uh, they might not be able to afford the building. They might have to sell it. And, or they'll just, you know, have to cover that cost, that burden. But then ultimately, where does that cost translate to? Well, it translates into the products that they sell to us in the future. So, you know, at the end of the day, we still get scammed. We still have to pay the extra money that gets, I mean, money comes from somewhere, right? So we still have to pay it. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that was just a little rant on Prop 13. But uh, in general, I'm super excited for 2020. You know, it's the start of a new decade and the start of my 30s. And I finally see a light at the end of the tunnel. So very excited for that. Anyways, thanks again for listening to this episode. Again, I want to have a quick, you know, I want to stay consistent with our episodes, but I didn't want to have someone featured on the day when everyone's celebrating Christmas. But Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. And I'll see you guys in 2020. Take care.